before I joined the army. The army. So just. Phoenix phones episode one with Alfred. Um, Alfred is uh, from the, well, would you say that you're from the UB Ports community? I know that you're active in the UB Ports community. Obviously, you're in the Q&As, uh, but you work on Halium mostly. For those that don't know, the Halium project is one um, is one project where we basically create a hardware abstraction layer for uh, making GNU slash Linux operating systems run on mobile phones. I pretty much make sure that things like uh, Ubuntu Touch run on the phones that I possess. And uh, that also means sometimes working on the UbiPort side. So not only Halium, not only the hardware abstraction, but also on operating system side of uh, things. You, know? you work with UbiPorts or in UbiPorts with developing ports and making sure all the hardware works together. So you're a, a UbiPorts developer in that kind of sense. But you work right. mostly on this abstraction layer um, with devices so that that can be used as a base for KD and Manjaro, etc. Who else right. also uses this layer? Um, exactly. Outside of this big project of Ubuntu Touch, what are your hobbies? So uh, I personally uh, do a lot of, well, I used to do a lot of music production uh, in the back. So uh for those who don't know for those who might be interested i usually do listen to hip-hop and rap music and uh so i pretty much do hip-hop beats uh when i got the free time to do so but i i put that to the side for more pressing things more important things to me personally mm -hmm. like porting like ubuntu touch uh, related things um what i also do is hiking and uh, just being out in nature and uh, stuff like that whenever I can. So, uh, yeah, I I would say I'm a pretty active person. I, I do a lot of different things, but it's just hard to get things uh, in order and uh, doing all the things that you want to do with limited amount of time, you know? Yeah, yeah. Do you hike often and, and do you still play music often or is that like kind of on the backseat? Is it a weekendly thing or how, how often do you enjoy these activities? Well, uh, well, the music production thing I do more often than, than hiking. Uh, hiking is really just, I, I, I basically started doing it, uh, so to say. Uh, but I, I got the hang of it. I, I, I still have hurting feet and I'm I still I'm still recovering in that way uh, because because the last one was just I was using the wrong shoes I, I was I I really have to get proper hiking shoes for that thing yeah um, but the music production thing on the other hand I uh, pretty much want to do it more often now uh, because I do manage to get some uh, spare time available for me to just do things like that and mm. uh, also whenever I come across people who have a very interesting taste in music. It's not not especially in, in, in rap or hip-hop related things, but, uh, for example, jazz or whatever. Um, 
I pretty much try to what 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 often happens in in those kinds of music genres is, or in in music genres like hip hop, uh, or rap rather, is that you take existing music, cut it up into pieces, and try to make a new song out of it, make a new melody out of it, and that's basically what I'm doing. Yeah. So put dr put drums uh, on it. And I, I really enjoy doing this thing. I mean, of course, professionals would probably rip their hair out if they knew how I, how I personally am doing it. But uh, I mean, it sounds fine to me. And in the end, that's all that counts, you know? Yeah, I mean, if you enjoy it, it doesn't even really matter if it's if it's up to that level or not, or, you know, where it's at. Right. When did you start getting interested in coding and when did you first start with Linux? Um, so my first introduction to programming, um, that was, that is an odd one. It used to be a secret, but, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm perfectly happy to sharing the, the story. Um, it's basically, there was this anime, uh, golden boy, I believe, uh, where there's this guy who just has a different adventure at each episode mm. and one episode was he started working at a software company he only knew the basic programming language and uh, he basically deleted all the files all the source code that was out there uh, in the in the repositories and rewrote the software from scratch and i, I mean just to remind you, those animes, they had pretty looking women uh, <laughs> in there. And I thought, hmm, how about I just start programming so I get pretty women I, at an age of, I, I think, 11 or something like that. And uh, so here we are, basically. You see, an 11 year old who I just wanted to get a girl and thought you could impress her with Unix. I mean... Right, exactly. So the, the Linux part uh, started, uh, I do believe a year after that okay. I got interested in uh, Linux and uh, my cousin installed the first Linux distribution for me. I don't I, I do believe it's it was something with uh, SUSE back then. Uh, then I switched over to Mandrake when it was still Mandrake and switched over to other things and I mean, I used to play Counter-Strike when I was younger mm. and I was just su surprised how well and uh, perfectly fluid it ran, even more so than on Windows when I was playing it under Wine on Linux. So uh, that surprised me and it basically sold it for me. It was There was this one time uh, where I started working at a software company, just a su summer gig, basically. And... Um, one colleague uh, was using Linux for his in, in, in his private in his spare time on his private computer, and I was like, maybe I can do it the same way. And here we are. I mean, I've been using Linux for about ten years now as my primary operating system. Yeah, on a computer. Fantastic. What was that? The first thing that you uh, you coded that you thought, oh, that's gonna impress those uh, anime chicks. <laughs> um i do believe it was i mean the 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 bigger project that i was working on was uh this next cloud and own cloud um client that i started working on called ghost cloud now it's mm -hmm. called ghost cloud it used to be called something else um and it 
it started out as an application for Sailfish OS, and that one has been around for, I do believe, six to seven years now. And I started working on that in my spare time because I need, I really needed something to synchronize my, my files with mm. on uh, Sailfish OS. Nothing existed other than the Android's alternative, and I was hesitant to to use it because I just wanted something native and turned out it turns out that uh, the software was perfectly portable over to other operating systems like a typical glue slash Linux desktop system and Ubuntu touch and so that's what I'm using it for now uh, I mean I do hope that it is that it is something capable of impressing anime chicks, but I'm not really sure. It it doesn't have explosions in the animations that much as I, as much as I hoped for. Aww. But still, <laughs> it's cross-platform, so it works on Sailfish, Ubuntu Touch, KDE, I assume right. as well. Uh, it uses Qt yeah. as, a, as a as its mainframe. As its main framework, right? Did you already understand a lot about coding? Did you did you have a good grasp of coding at that point, or was this your project where you taught yourself how to how to code? I especially went to school uh, dedicated to programming, and uh, I did that until I was uh, I, I it should have been nineteen years, but I added just add two and two more years to it mm. because I was just lazy in some. Uh, parts of the of of school, and I just didn't want to learn that much as I as I should have. But still, it worked out, and uh, I do I did have a, some knowledge about it, but it was just completely different uh, from what is actually used out there. And for everybody who is interested in in learning to code, I can only suggest that you take a look at existing open source projects because open source projects by its nature almost always or at least in a lot of cases have very great quality because people are just afraid being hit over by some random guy on the internet because some part of of the code just looked horrible or wasn't functional at all and if you really want to get into coding uh like the quick way Learning it from just random GitHub repositories that you find on the internet uh, is is very helpful. And it certainly helped me because I was able to get a taste for good code by just reading what System D did, for example. Uh, because the quality, even though people might not be very interested in System D in the sense that it might not follow the Unix philosophy, as some people claim, which I disagree with, but well doesn't matter um it still has it's it still has very interesting uh concepts and its quality is is very good so i can only suggest people to you know read code online before they write code because learn learning to read and learning to write code is is something like you have to properly read the code first for you to write readable codes in the end. I mean, my introduction in school to programming was with Java and we had this uh, we had this cute little hamster um, that you were supposed to pro to code for, uh, instructing it to, you know, 
drop some seeds and uh, run around uh, in a maze, pick up some seeds and do funny things like that. Uh, make make it turn around and, and things like that. Just navigating the, the hamster in, in the maze. And that was quite an interesting way of getting people into programming because it had certain limitations that you had to get around uh, with uh, by some by, by having some cleverness uh, ready. And it was quite interesting introduction in, from from my personal taste. I wouldn't recommend it to everybody, but almost everybody. I mean, there is there are alternatives like the Python turtle. I believe I believe it's a turtle, and uh, it's it's the same concept there. So you navigate uh, an animal uh, via code, and you make it do different things, and that's 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 quite okay for for starting to program. After that, um, I started to do C sharp uh, quite a lot actually, and C plus uh, plus only came when I did my diploma projects five years into into school. It's pro it's it's possible that many people waste a lot of time learning the frameworks when they should be learning concepts in the beginning. Hmm. You know? So people might be very specialized in using Python very efficiently, but um, might not be able to work on code in a different language because they're so used to concepts from one language that they're not able to translate that over to something else. I mean, and don't get me wrong. I mean, learning the frameworks that you're using is important, um, but for a beginner, the concepts and uh, the the bare bone basic, uh, in, I would say, I would call it instruments for programming like if conditions mm. are the most important thing to know about first, because um, I mean, you can be a, a king in knowing the .NET framework inside and outside, but in the end, if you can't translate that over to a different programming language, because a different project might need a different language, yeah. then you're screwed basically. When it comes down to like choosing a language, um, I think this is like a really difficult thing for people who are just coming into code, who are new to code. There are so many mm. different languages and the more you look up languages, the harder it is to choose because there's, there's so many. Um, you've got Java, you've got, you know, your, your web-based um, programming languages. You've got Kotlin, you've got Flutter, you've got Rust and Python and in C++, C Sharp, F. It does, there's loads of different programming languages all with their advantages and disadvantages and, and you could spend months of your life just looking at what projects use what and, and not coming to a concrete decision on what you should learn. Well, that's a tough question, but um, I personally would almost just uh, almost certainly say JavaScript for everything, because there is this advantage with QML that you can use JavaScript in your UI code to write simple applications, not not necessarily you know um, 
industry great database connecting applications that do processing very easily in multiple threads or something like that but it's very easy to get into everybody has a browser everybody has the tools necessary for writing code and debugging it and and because everything is in the browser but if you want to move over to let's say a desktop environment and write code for a desktop or for a mobile phone then or for a tablet then you can just take qml as your graphic user interface layer and mix that with javascript which is very easy to do because it's so tightly integrated and you're still able to in the end add some c++ if you ever desire to do so when did you first learn about ubuntu touch and ub parts um ubuntu touch i was still in school when that started and it's funny because i was an ubuntu user back then already uh using it as my main desktop or laptop operating system and i was very interested and very happy to hear that there is an alternative to android and ios mm -hmm. coming um so yeah i basically joined the community after canonical dropped the project and i'm, I'm a happy camper since, since then so i'm using it on my on three of my phones one of them is the mx4 which used to ship with um, ubuntu touch by default then there's the Sony Xperia X and the Google Pixel 3a. And the Pixel 3a I'm most excited about because the performance is just, it's, it's due to perfection. I really, really, really would like to share it with others and get their ideas and get their input. And that's basically where I am today. So we have some uh, people, especially in the German community, who use the Sony Xperia X as their daily driver, even though it doesn't have a stable channel yet, but they're happy using it. And I mean, they do find some issues. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. So how come, what, what drew you specifically to Ubuntu Touch? Um, you parted devices for Sailfish as well, did you not? Yeah, I did, yeah. Uh, for the uh, Samsung Galaxy Nexus, I did the... Sailfish OS port uh, back before, just uh, before I joined the army. The army. So just, yeah. Right. I, I mean, it's mandatory mandatory army service that we have in, in Austria. Oh. That's something that I didn't. You could have said that in your about section. <laughs> oh yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, that been interesting. That's an interesting little tidbit. The army. How long was you in the army for? um i was uh, for half a year so six months yeah. and i i had my uh training the first month and the rest of the of the army service i was just sitting in the kitchen cooking for you know people and <laughs> for officials and Fetties. yeah so what what brought you from sailfish to ubuntu touch i was very happy with the way that sailfish os worked but I saw some technical difficulties along the way. First of all, the security story is not as developed or was not as developed as Ubuntu Touch's one was. And that ties into App Armor, the framework, or it's let's let's call it a framework for 
um, securing applications against, uh, first of all, exploits, and second of all, against other applications. So, uh, you know, strict confinement uh, that you have on Ubuntu Touch is not something that you are used to on Sailfish OS. The security is only as good as the person using it. And confinement with click packages makes it very easy. You want to do low-level things and you want to secure applications on that layer. Then something like App Armor, to me personally, is just way easier than as Linux. And so I just jumped uh, the ship, basically, uh, the the Yola ship, and switched over to Ubuntu Touch for mainly that reason. And also, I really liked the idea of convergence. When you came into like the UBPorts community, what was the first thing that you started actively doing, or, or what was like the first thing that you 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 did for for the UBPorts community? Um, so there was this one time after the Ubuntu Touch uh, Q and A where there's this after party where you can join in and chat with people using your webcam and microphone. And I was like, I used to have an MX4, but I bricked it. And Dalton was like, oh, you had an MX4? You want another one? We have a bug here. All right. So I just, I received the MX4 and uh, worked on a specific bug that was... uh, causing the MX4 not to boot into a graphical user interface anymore. And that bug was sitting in libhyris slash the graphical uh, or the the OpenGL drivers Uh, because there was this one instance where something, if you have ever used C style programming languages, you know that you can have a format string and int put values into that format string and it was doing something horribly wrong uh, like using a float for an integer or something like that and it basically overflowed the memory and uh, I do believe it was something like that I'm not really sure anymore it's been a long time (laughs) yeah but it was something like that and was causing uh, you know wrong uh, behavior and in the end it crashed and uh after that i do believe i started working on making sure that the sony xperia x integrates better with uh with ubuntu touch i'm not really sure what it was i mean it's been a long time to be honest with you it's it's been Mm -hmm. such a long time since uh mario scripts guard took over ubuntu touch it uh it feels like it wasn't too long ago in one aspect but in the other aspect it feels like it was uh feels like it's always been that way <laughs> when you work on um ubuntu touch you develop applications and you work on Halium specifically uh is are there any other areas where you have coded or have really helped um in a development way one of my personal goals is implementing a way for applications to run in the background on multiple um operating systems, mobile operating systems, Mm. like Sailfish and like Ubuntu Touch, using the same interfaces, using the same application programming interfaces, um, like um, spawning a service in the background and making sure that it keeps running, even though the application might be itself might be frozen, like it is the case on Ubuntu Touch. And as, as I am 
developing for multiple platforms, I want to reuse as much code as possible. So that is something that I might bring hopefully in the future. I can't promise it because again, my, my schedule is very tight and very limited right now. Yeah. Okay. So the, uh, the biggest thing that you're working on for the UV ports community at the moment is Hallium. And that's where most of your effort and work is going into at the moment. Is that correct? Yeah, right. Okay, so Hallium is is quite a big project. It was was it started by the KDE community? I do believe it was a, a joint effort between uh, UbiPorts and KDE mostly. Hmm. At least from the from the people that uh, are mentioned on the main websites. Currently, it is uh, mostly UbiPorts and KDE people. And um, so I know some of the KDE developers have been working on that to try and make it work between both KDE and UbiPorts. I know that there's quite a lot of uh, collaboration there, which is fantastic to hear. Yeah. And I personally think I personally think that uh, that's the the awesome thing about working in those kinds of communities because um, there are some glue bits like Calium that bridge over from one project to the next one, yeah. and you make friends across projects, and it's it's very it's very fun and makes you happy on a personal level because you get to know new people all over the globe. Yeah, working on similar projects using similar principles, and uh, you know that's it's just. It's it's something very unique to open source development. I mean, personally, I'm looking forward to the collaboration that we have with, or that we are currently having uh, with Manjaro to see that expanding more and more, because I'm pretty sure that if they um, get something like Lumi rerunning on their distribution and they want to have specific modifications uh, for their distro, or if they even have input for the general desktop environment or a smartphone graphical environment, then sure. I mean, that's that's the awesome thing about open source uh, working across projects and distributions uh, even. And also, if there are other distributions out there like uh, RPM-based distros and they want to get uh, in touch with us, they surely can. And it it would only it would not only help them it would also help us because we would be able to get new users they would be able to get uh, working software because it's way easier packaging something that exists already rather than developing your own stuff from the ground up and uh, if the goals of both projects align very well then. That's the best approach that you probably could take, just reusing software that is already out there and making it work very well on your distribution. Do you work on Halium itself or parts using Halium or a mixture of both? It's a mixture of both. So um, whenever there's a chance to do so, I do um, review... Um, additions of devices to the supported device list or to the repository rather um, where you can you know when when you compile Halium for your device we we used to have the setup script and uh, 
the setup script allows you to just select an existing supported device uh, from the Helium supported devices list and uh, basically get get started very easily without much uh, without having to do a lot of on your own. And I reviewed some of those things. I review some of the hardware enablement things. I do some hardware enablement myself. And uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a big project. It's, there is something for everybody, I would say. If you're interested in those kinds of things, like making sure that a new slash Linux operating system works on an Android phone, go for it, really. I mean, you're, we're not going to be disappointed. <laughs> so like Halium is, is, is a big project. Um, how would you, to somebody who doesn't really know what Halium is or doesn't understand how big it is or how many like different components there are in Halium, um, would you mm -hmm. care to explain what, what particularly Halium is and how many different parts there are to Halium? Um, so for people to understand how Halium works, it's probably a good idea to start with Android, how Android works. Um, Android has uh, uses the Linux kernel uh, for talking to the hardware. And on top of the kernel, we have those user space C uh, written or C++ based uh, libraries and components like services uh, that basically allow applications to talk to the kernel side of things. Um, and what we do in Halium is we take the Linux kernel or the Android kernel from the device vendor. We take the C and C++ based um, user space libraries and services and make those work in a confined area so that a GNU slash Linux system can talk to the Android drivers via, uh, you know, wrapper libraries. Like, for example, we, we have an implementation for OpenGL, which actually talks to the Android side's uh, drivers. Hmm. So it basically, it's not translation in that sense. It just allows you to call one Android function from within a typical GNU slash Linux system. And uh, that's basically the way that we're doing it. What we are especially using is LXC or LexC um, for confining or containing the Android side in its own uh, area so that it doesn't run in the host system and it's replaceable. That's one very interesting fact about uh, Ubuntu Touch and KDE and all the distros using Halium for hardware enablement. Um, the rootFS side mostly is static and in the sense that it is the same across different types of devices. For example, you can have one root file system for the Nexus 4 and you, you can use the same rootFS for the Xperia X. But the actual hardware abstraction is contained in the system image file that just gets mounted and it contains all the lower level Android bits, the user space libraries and the services that I mentioned. Those get started, those get used um, by the GNU Linux system 
and they both run on top of the vendor provided kernel source that uh, is released by the vendor and typically um, uses very old, I would say, um, Linux based versions, like for example, 4.4 and 4.9, 4.14. Those are, they're not that old, but they're old to some people and especially software developers who want to make use of just the freshest and newest features that are out there. I mean, those people are going to be disappointed probably, but for typical application developments, you know, apps that you have on your smartphone or tablet, for that it's perfectly fine. And um, yeah, that's basically how, how Holly works. It's kind of like the glue that puts it all together. Halium is, is based on Android, and so uh, when it comes down to porting and stuff like that, you have to have a base somewhere, uh, such as like Halium 7.1, Halium 8, Halium 9, etc. Right, uh, right, right. How, how does versioning work for Halium, and uh, can, you know, changes that you've made for Halium 8 work in Halium 9? Or, or do you have to kind of start over again when it comes down to working on Halium and Halium ports? It depends. Uh, so what we usually do is we write or we create uh, the Halium side of things, mm -hmm. and then we try to integrate it into the root of S. And for example, there are some differences between how Ubuntu Touch used to be uh, compared to the Android, the Halium 9 effort. Uh, there are some subtle differences because uh, we do not want to break the core devices that are based on Android 4.1, for example, yeah. or 5.0 or something like that, or 4.4, probably. We don't want to break those devices. We want to make sure that those keep on going and keep working uh, for the foreseeable future. But... Um, what we usually have is that we do changes in Halium. And then when it comes to stuff like um, the camera, for example, Rajanan has done an amazing job at making sure that GStream Droid from, from the Yola guys uh, works seamlessly on Ubuntu Touch. Mm -hmm. And that one is the component that enables camera support for both Halium 7.1 as well as Halium 9.0 based ports. So we have some efforts that are shared across the different versions of Halium. Um, but sometimes, you know, those due to the way that Android is developed and it's, you, you can imagine Android being developed like in this silo and it's not going to be released until it's released and it doesn't get a lot of input from outside of google for yeah. example and uh, maybe maybe hardware vendors uh, get to have a say one or two times but mostly it's google deciding uh, about development of of android so it's very hard for us to follow that follow the android train uh, that's quickly because th things might change in a big way just between minor releases they shouldn't usually uh usually they don't but there's the possibility that this happens and jumping from android 9 to android 10 for example is probably going to take us a while again because uh google might have changed 
a few things again on their side, just how Android works and uh, how the specific changes that are required to make the new Linux um, system work properly with the Android drivers hmm. and making sure that uh, Android side services don't crash on you for no apparent reason, quote unquote. Um, you know, those changes are probably going to be redone ev with every release. And I mean, it's easier now than it used to be because we are uh, actively sharing the the workload with, with Yala, or at least we are basing our changes on top of what Yala does. And when, when they try to provide an Android 9-based uh, adaptation for their operating system for Sailfish, then it's easy for us to adapt uh, the changes that they did and make it make it work on Halium. Hmm. Is there anywhere that you would say is particularly lacking when it comes down to uh, where the improvements are or where the coding is with, with Halium? Is there anywhere that you're missing a person or you you need that extra work or that would just be helpful at the moment it would be helpful if we had people with more than just one device uh, because it allows you to having more than one target at your disposal uh, allows you to think about things differently and making sure that changes that you do work across devices I mean, Irfan, for example, has done an amazing job of uh, making sure that the fingerprint support for Ubuntu Touch uh, with Halium 9 works seamlessly across both devices with Keymaster 3.0 as well as Keymaster 4.0, which is uh, required for encryption, basically. Right. And um, that's that's something that we are lacking. I mean, people are complete are totally welcome to uh, just scratch their own itch and work on things that they are interested in but if they want to make an even bigger impact mm. and they want to get deeper into the system and, and most importantly get more involved in the community uh, in in more ways then having a second device uh, might be helpful i mean it's it sounds like double the work but if you are used to developing for one system it's pretty easy to just switch over to another device and making sure that things work that way. Yeah. What is the most enjoyable part of working on something like Halium? It is, it's very low um, uh, in the... Uh, like, it's not a visual thing that you see. It's not something that you can like notice as like an end user and, and things like that. And so like when I when I hear people talk about things that they like when when they've made something, it's usually, oh, I showed my friend this app that I made and they were like they thought it was really cool. Um I showed my imaginary anime chick my application and she was impressed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she now knows how to play guitar and it's all because of your application. You know, getting to work professionally in, in software development. Hmm. If you work on something like that, like Halium and Ubuntu Touch and KDE or something like that, KDE Plasma Mobile, it gives you the advantage, uh, first of all, of knowledge. Yes. Very important. 
so you get to have a high level view of uh, the different components that are used in the operating system and how an operating system is composed and what those different components are supposed to be doing. That gives you an advantage when writing good software professionally. And also uh, on the CV, it looks very good because you can talk about, yeah, I'm working on you know, Ubuntu Touch and uh, it makes people be surprised uh, because they haven't heard about it and it gets you to talk to to them about the project projects that you like and that you're involved in yeah. so it also has an advantage on that side yeah that's fantastic um so Halium is mostly in c plus plus what other languages is uh Halium coded in uh it's mostly C++, yes. Uh, C, for example, also is used. Um, there are some bits that are um, basically make files um, that you that are basically bash scripted and make file scripted. So you uh, have some components that are built dynamically depending on the environment that you're building it for, depending on the target that you're building it for, rather. And but it's mostly C and C plus plus. So we rip out everything that is Java related from Android, and we make sure that it's a very minimal Android installation that is just enough to make use of the proprietary drivers that are used in, in on the device. So like when it comes down to Apple, they make a device and they put all their software in a in a way that it works with the devices that they make. Um, and they really are able to optimize it because of how, how they work. Um, is that possible to make something that's really optimized using Halia if, if it, if the device has previously used Android and how well would that reflect on Ubuntu touch and KDE, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, will will it be possible to use Halium to make a device that originally worked with Android um, faster in the future because we're not using the JavaScript stuff and uh, not JavaScript but not using Java and this other extra cruft and and how do you really yeah. bring it as close to the metal as possible? Yeah, uh, I mean. I personally think that some uh, vendors might be doing a better job than others. Uh, for example, Sony has this wonderful open devices program. They are providing instructions and source codes uh, for building Androids specifically for their Sony devices. And the most interesting thing is that the kernel source code and uh, the user space side of things, those are shared across multitude of devices so not only the sony xperia x the device that i'm working on is able to profit from that but also the sony xperia x performance that is that has been spearheaded by andreas um, they both use like 95 percent of the same code and uh, they are able to use make use of bare metal performance wherever they can because Sony has done a very good job at making sure that they're not wasting you know resources uh, when accessing XYZ in hardware mm. we are 
writing everything in native code or almost everything in native code up to the application side of things, um, we probably are able to get theoretically better performance on those devices than Android itself. I really thought I would get a Pine phone. I tried out and it would just be really slow and it would just be painful to use. But it's only like, you know, when I tap like an application or something, I think it only takes an extra two seconds to load. It's not, you know, it doesn't take that long. And when we get the new hardware enablement kernel and when, you know, we update to newer software libraries, it should be flying really. Even on hardware that I would expect to to be really slow and laggy and feel gross because it's only got two gigabytes of RAM, um, <laughs> which I think I think Android just doesn't work well with with two gigabyte two gigabyte of RAM. Nowadays it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Nowadays it's uh, that's the bare minimum I would say for an Android phone to ship with um, in regard regarding RAM and the CPU also should be at least dual core. Uh, to be uh, at least working in a minimal configuration without a lot of animations and you know the yeah the the just fancy things that make up a typical smartphone experience. Hmm. When it comes down to like hardware and choosing which part uh, which phones to port to, how do you normally choose? Like you're you're with the ex- you you're the big Xperia fan, you're a big Sony fan. Um, is that partially because of the open mobile, open source mobile aspect of it? Uh, I can't remember exactly what you called the program. Or is it like uh, the build quality? Or It's mostly the software side of things, the open devices program uh, by Sony. That is, that, is, that is something that other vendors should be following. Hmm. Uh, if I'm if I might say may, might say so, uh, because you know there's there's something to be said about being open to other developers uh, regarding keeping the the devices supported for a long period of time. Yeah. And uh, the Sony Xperia X maxes out at Android 8.1, I believe, and 9.0 is available as an AOSP port, mm. and that's due to the fact that it is possible uh, to make sure that the old device runs with new software due to the open devices program other pe- other vendors really should follow this 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 way of developing their their software and um, apart from that I I do think Google still has still has it so to say uh, when it comes to developer friendly phones um it's just that nowadays due to the way that um android is getting locked down more and more you have to think about uh other ways of making the software work with with a port or making the hardware work with a port and we are playing by the rules set by google and the hardware manufacturers and we can't do much about it. I mean, there are certain ways to make sure that we have hardware encryption and encryption or hardware based encryption for the user data partition available for Ubuntu Touch as well, or KDE Plasma Mobile as well. 
um but still it it's it's a lot of effort and we we can't do it just in a whim because we might want to support other devices that are not android based so yeah there there are certain things to be considered have you talked to anybody from sony who works on the software or who works on the the device um side of things the open device project side of things um there there is alan uh who is working mostly working on the open devices uh things mm. and he's an, a sony employee and i had the chance to talk uh, with him about a handful of things i mean he's he's a busy guy i don't blame him for not answering everything that i asked him about yeah. but still i mean uh let's just say that that's still a much better developer experience uh, compared to most other smartphone manufacturers out there because they probably have zero people working on things like Alan is doing right now. Yeah. I mean, I have friends who really wished uh, they could have they, they they could have installed a different version of Android or custom ROM on the huawei phones and they just couldn't because the bootloader was locked and uh yeah i mean if you really want to use a phone that is flexible in the sense that you can use different operating systems on it don't use huawei Mm. (laughs) really don't so um with samsung i'm i'm sad to see that the all the good developers seem to have left or at least that's the impression uh, for me just you know, getting a random Samsung device and uh, somebody asking you, in this case me uh, rather, uh, asking me to install a custom ROM onto it. And the situation used to be better, I do think so, Hmm. um, because there used to be a lot of drive behind uh, Cyanogen mod or Lineage OS as it's called now and um yeah it seems like the development story or the custom rom story quote unquote uh is not as as developed as it used to be yeah i mean i mean the the there is something to be said about chinese phones because some of them or a lot of them use mediatek chips hmm. and making use of mediatek is sometimes harder than it's supposed to be and i'm talking in a sense that sometimes you you first of all have to have the kernel source code available and sometimes they do not want to give you that yeah i mean i tried that once with uh, the meizu guys and uh before ubuntu touch was released on the mx4 i had the mx4 before that um i wanted to port sailfish os to it and they just couldn't because the Meizu guys just were stubborn about not releasing the source code to me. And it's probably because they have a contract with MediaTek saying they are not allowed to do that. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's just... So you, you really have to do some research before buying... If you're really... If you are really interested in making a port for Chinese phones, you have to make sure that you get everything that is required on a source code level. So just because there is Android on phone XYZ doesn't mean it's uh, easily portable over to a different operating system. 
So for Halium, we we specifically require you to have the kernel source code available. And until the, the Google efforts with the generic kernel image, uh, you know, come to fruition and uh, really, really are released first and foremost. Uh, until then, you have to make sure that the source code for the kernel is available and uh, you have that. And sometimes with some Chinese smartphones, you just can't because they don't they don't provide everything that you that is required. Yeah. Always do your research to make sure that there's a GitHub repository for that phone. I, I assume it's mostly GitHub. Sony does use GitHub, yeah. Is there anything else that you'd like to mention or say or talk about when it comes down to Halium or porting to Ubuntu uh, Touch to different devices? It's something that we that you can't quote unquote see in that sense, hmm. because it's so low level and uh, very specialized. But uh, again, if someone is interested in uh, joining the project, they just or are interested in porting some Linux system onto their Android smartphones, then just make sure to have Telegram or Matrix and join the Halium uh, channels that way. Get in touch with us. We can help you, and maybe you can help us, even if you're new to, to porting. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a community effort. Everybody who is involved gets to have a piece of the cake, so to say. <laughs> I mean, no, no real cookies, but hopefully someday. Hopefully. <laughs> Downloadable cookies. Oh, Downloadable okay. <laughs> cookies. So apart from Ubuntu Touch, um, there's obviously other projects that you you will be a part of. So, um, what other things do you code, or what other kind of projects have you been a part of? Um, so most of the projects that I uh, work on are mostly my pet projects. Those are applications for both Sailfish and Ubuntu Touch, like the mentioned uh, Ghost Cloud and QML Create the thing. Um, but there's also, so there's also um, the ISO drive application that I created. And its idea is mostly based on uh, the application called Drive Droids on the Android, uh, from the Android world, where you can download an ISO file onto your phone and use your phone as a USB stick for your computer to boot a Linux distribution off of. Hmm. And I... I got the idea from, as I said, from a different application. I thought I want something like that on Sailfish OS. Basically took a look at the interfaces that are required to be used, used those and voila, I now have an ISO file loaded as a CD-ROM uh, and plug in the phone into the computer and that's it. I was so stoked about this when I first worked on it and I still use it to this day. So whenever I get the chance to um, reinstall a computer, whether it being my own or someone else's, and uh, those uh, people surprisingly tend to use uh, Linux for whatever reason, maybe because I converted them. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it works very well, and it also works on Ubuntu Touch now, and has been for around a year, I think. Um, the next thing, uh, where was I? Where was I? Um, oh, yeah, the Q showdown thing. Yeah, Q showdown. 
so the next one is Q Showdown, uh, which is also a multi-platform application. I have released it for Android, for Ubuntu Touch, for for the Ubuntu Desktop or Snap Store rather. And what it allows you to do is, it's basically a client application to the Showdown IO website. Uh, uses the official APIs. Uh, so you, if you're not familiar with Showdown, it allows you to scan the internet for servers and IoT devices and stuff like that. Uh, that are connected to the internet for some re- odd reason, for one reason or another, and allows you to uh, find out which services run on those devices. It even shows you the vulnerabilities that it's still exposed to. Uh, so it shows you how well patched your uh, network devices are and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's very interesting for security people. It's also very interesting for, you know, the the black hat hackers. But uh, on the other hand, you, there are so many tools available for black hats already. It's probably better to just release something that white hats can also make use of. And um, you know, it works and it works fine. Hmm. And I'm still, I'm still, I, I could work on it a little bit more, but it does what I need it to do, and I'm, I'm happy about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's fantastic. It's, it's a great idea because I mean, you, you did mention about how it could be used by people who are, who are in the, in the wrong. I'd like there is something to say for the fact that the easier those kind of tools are for bad people, the, the more bad people can, can kind of use them. Um, but it is absolutely needed for people who aren't, well, who have these devices. They need to know, you need to know if your device is hackable and, and what mm-hmm. you can do about that. And I think that if you're a black hat kind of hacker and you have to use a tool like this because you can't figure out the other kind of tools, then there's probably not much that you would be able to actually do even if you have the knowledge of these vulnerabilities um right exactly but if if you are somebody who is carrying around a device or you know have a device at home that is very vulnerable uh, i think that you can find easier ways to kind of patch those devices or update them or just replace them if you're not that technologically adapt so i think it is good for, for people who and Azteki as well, in that kind of way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and yeah, so that's that's that. Uh, so you've also worked on an application since th- this is your uh, the beat the scar app. That's your. Oh yeah. Um, it's, it's basically a program or game rather where you plug in a MIDI keyboard or an analog guitar, for example, uh, like bass guitar, and you take a Guitar Pro music file, load that, then you try to basically hit the notes as accurately as possible, and in the end, you get a score. It's it's called Beat the Score, basically. <laughs> and um, it, it, it's supposed to help you learn uh, playing music instruments. Hmm. Okay, so on on a bit more of like a, a on a different kind of note, you've also made 
mods for video games uh, such as like Quake. Um, mm-hmm. where, where does that kind of well, fit into your hobbies and interests? I mean, uh, I have made a Doom mod when I was like uh, 10 to 11 years old. And I mean, it's not the perfect game for a 10-year-old to play around with, but I still did it. And um, yeah, I basically, I mean, what I did uh, in the past was make a Doom mod uh, with Half-Life assets in them. And I found a mod on the internet or a map on the internet for Doom. Uh, basically, the the first few minutes of, of Half-Life 1 mm. uh, composed as a map for Doom. And I took the sprites uh, or took screenshots of the because I just couldn't figure out how to render the models uh, onto a blank surface so I can have transparency. So I instead, I just took screenshots of the screen, made everything around the weapon transparent, and then I put that one as a sprite into in, in, into the mod, and it kind of worked. And it, I mean, for a 10-year-old, it wasn't that bad, I would say. Um, so that was the, the big one that I was involved in. Hmm. I was also involved in, in a Counter-Strike mod. I, I mean, I was developing it uh, most of the time. It was more or less uh, developed by some German guy that I met on the internet. We were talking about do mods. Um, but I have, I actually have one idea for a mod. And if someone wants to help out on this, uh, just get in touch with me because I think that would be a fun idea. Um, so the idea would be to have a Quake 1 mod where you shoot one of the enemies and whenever you almost kill them, you either you, you get a question uh, with a series of answers. You have to pick the right answer, and only if you pick the right answer, you kill the the enemy. So, I mean, I have heard that 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 is similar to what already exists, but it would be fun to implement it anyway, and especially for do for Quake One, yeah. uh, and also the tools that are required to do that. I have also packaged them for Ubuntu, so um, you know if you want to, if you want to do a Quake or Doom mod, just download them from the Snap Store. They are available and fresh out the oven. And they'll work on like most distributions if they work on that, if they if they're Snap packaged, so you don't even have to worry about exactly. Yeah, so that's fantastic. You've already done half the work for them. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm happy to help wherever I can. You know? <laughs> Um, it is quite like uh, house uh, no typing of the dead even um, because in mm-hmm. typing of the dead uh, it was basically a, a Sega game uh, in the late 90s and trying to teach people how to type and so mm-hmm. basically they took house of the dead which was a, a light gun shooting game where you aimed at a character and shot uh, a zombie even and shot uh, in in typing of the dead instead, what happens is you get a like a a word or a quote, and you have to type it out properly as quick as possible uh, to shoot them. <laughs> so if you if you if it said like for example, um, 
if you had to like type out your username or something and you missed a letter, all of your shots after that would miss until you go back to that letter and fix it. And so it's a big like <laughs> you're trying to go as fast as possible to type out like what it says, and it says some like really ridiculous stuff in some cases. And so I think it sounds that sounds awesome. <laughs> um, there's there's a HD um, sequel to it on Steam, but I don't think it's as good as the original. I haven't played it properly myself, but the original I definitely recommend if you can find it anywhere to to give it a go because it is a hilarious and fun weird typing game and uh, i i highly mm-hmm. recommend it so you might be able to do something like that with with quake on uh, as well and if you can do something like that then making a, a version where you've got questions to answer and you've got to do it quickly which should shouldn't be as difficult oh yeah i mean uh i mean there is the possibility of reusing the assets of uh, you don't know Jack because those are quite old by by today's standards. Mm. They I'm not really sure how the copyright system, uh, how the time frame for copyright is supposed to look like with regards to to game assets. But um, I mean, one could just use his own CD or her own CD. A copy of you don't know Jack, load them in and play with it that way, for example. So we wouldn't have to record our own audio and come up with our own ridiculous questions. <laughs> so, yeah. You know. And it could be like one, two, three, and four for the answers. So you don't have to like type much. You just read what it says and like you're you're sweating right. because of how like much time you've got and you see, oh, if I press one it's this answer to this answer and you've just got to be on your toes and be like, ah, right. I can't spend too long on this one. Cause there's another one behind me. So. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So is there anything else that you would like to, to talk about before we, we leave the show? Oh, actually there's one other thing. Um, so, The Linux world, I think, is is very diverse and has like a lot of different people and different interests. And um, so you've got people who are in Linux because of the freedoms. You've got people into Linux because uh, it's good on old hardware. You've got people into it because it gets the most out of the high end hardware. Um, mm-hmm. And some people use it because for them, you know, it's easier to use or, you know, whatever. And you've got loads of people who use it for different reasons and different things. Um, and you've got like a diverse set of, of different people um, who who are making this kind of software. Um, a lot of people would say that when they think about big issues in Linux, they are in the technology space they talk about things like um the tech divide so like the hardware of like you know people who don't have computers needing them and so like that's pine like pine 64 having cheap and like uh inexpensive offerings for those kind of uh people um you've mm-hmm. got people trying to get people from different backgrounds into coding and try and get their perspective etc etc 
to try and broaden mm-hmm. the horizons of Linux. Mm-hmm. Where do you feel like we could improve and how do you think that we could improve? Like, What is one of the issues that you would want to fix in Linux that you can see that's still kind of there? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I personally think that we should settle the packaging wars once and for all because we are now at stage 2.0 with it, with both flat packs and snaps, and both have their advantages and disadvantages. Hmm. And uh, I mean, as a software developer, I care about being able to release software to as many people as possible that has always been an issue on linux especially due to the fact that whenever you for example build something using c or everything that is based based on c Mm. that uses the standard c library uh, might all of the sudden just break and require a recompile because someone thought that doing an incompatible change was a good idea yeah which is not the case in almost all cases, you know? And I mean, that's something that Linus Torvalds has uh, complained about himself. And I totally agree about that. So as soon as we have the packaging issues fixed up, I do think we're good to go because the desktop environments are getting very mature. Um, KDE is now at the stage where they are planning ahead for Qt 6. Gnome uh, are working towards GTK4, and I think that that will bring us a lot of very good applications uh, in the end. But in the short term, or mid-term at least, we should should have the courage to settle the, the discussion about packaging formats once and for all, because it might be... Uh, a very touchy subject it might be a subject that people are not very keen on uh, answering or bringing their opinion to the table because they are afraid of the backlash that they might get we we will have to do it sooner rather than later because we have the opportunity now uh, for people to switch over because most people don't i mean most people still use windows don't get me wrong but they're not using most of the applications that they used to use 10 years ago. Yeah. Most of the things that they do are able to be done through a web browser already. And that promise seems to have kept up mm-hmm. with, uh, with what was predicted. And still, those applications that require you to have raw bare metal performance every every little bit of CPU cycles that you can get out of the CPU. Uh, For those kinds of tasks, I do think we need to have one application packaging format and we don't have it now. I mean, we have have two solutions or three considering AppArmor and putting that into the mix as well. Um, But for something like an App Store, we might want to have an app store and we might have to bow down to what a regular user wants and expects from other platforms people outside of the linux ecosystem are used to just having one single place because they do not want to manage the software repositories and on the other hand i do think 
that both the snap and the flat pack people should maybe sit together and work on one thing finally one thing put their pride aside and just finish the thing that they have worked on as one project I think even though there might be technical differences you know yeah there's lots of technical differences that would have to be resolved and i don't know if that's a realistic situation but i do understand where you're coming from it is um I mean, I, I think if you go all snap or all flat pack, it's not too bad, the the resource size sizes. But if you have some apps as snaps and some as flat pack, you're getting the worst of of the storage space situation. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Totally. Because you need like a base package for Ubuntu in snap and you need a, a base... I don't know what they're called in flat packs, but like runtime, I think. Yeah, you need base like runtimes for KDE and GNOME in uh, flat packs, and so you end up with giant um, root directories for those runtimes, and you end up with massive home directories, I think, for the snap versions. So you're doubling the at, at least you're doubling the amount of dependencies that are involved if you use both of them mm. Mm, true okay so that was our uh call with alfred so um where can people find you outside of this podcast um so if you're uh, interested in my Twitter ramblings and stuff that uh, I find on the internet and want to comment on. Uh, if you're interested in that, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at freddle.me. That's R-E-D-L-D-O-T-M-E. -E. Uh, same username on GitHub for my projects. And it's also my domain. So freddle.me is also my website. So if you're... I, I should blog a little bit more about things that are interesting to, to me so currently there is only something about how to make use of Qt for web streaming um but yeah uh that's th those are the biggest places that you can find me on all right fantastic and it was a uh, great having you on thank you yeah thank you too thanks for having me of course